So we are anthropomorphizing the donut. The humble donut, or maybe that's where I got it from. <laughs> well, I consider him the first American author to write about the donut. <laughs> okay, there you go. I think it is the Truman Doctrine of pastries. There is a donut, Kurt, believe it or not, that is the Pepto-Bismol donut. And he is the father of the donut hole. Well, hello, people. It is time. Yes, it is time. Oh, it's time for another episode of Smart Drivel. It does feel like time, Kurt. Yes. Ooh, time is passing. This is Kurt Schneider. And I'm John Ellenthal. And we're your co-host, where we promise to give you a lot of drivel. We're the co-hosts of Smart Drivel. We promise the drivel, and we hope for the smart. So today, John, we're going to hearken way back and pay a bit of podcast episodic homage to our very first episode. That was about pies, Kurt. That was. We argued, you attempted to argue that there was a relationship, like a real one, between the mathematical formula of pie and the dessert called pie. Yes, P-I versus P-I-E, which I was very strong in convincing my argument. But we're not talking about pie today, John. We're going to talk about something that has its own day, the first, I think it's the first Friday of every June. We're talking about the donut. Yes, the first Friday of every June is indeed National Donut Day. And whoa, is there a backstory to that? Really? To the donut day? Yeah, because it sounds like something frivolous where you celebrate the donut, which is not that it's not worthy of celebration. Of course it is, but it is actually a day that was created in 1938, Kurt. I don't know. <laughs> okay. It, National Donut. Wait, I didn't think those national days. I thought they just sprung up like in the last year where there's National Twinkie Day and has, National everything else. It has Twister become day. very popular and there is a national fill in the blank day and there's probably even a national fill in the blank day. I wouldn't be surprised. But in 1938, the Salvation Army initiated National Donut Day. Ah, And that's because... Great Depression? It was actually to raise money oh. for people who were really being hurt by the depression, but it started in Chicago and it was a fundraiser. It's now become an annual thing, but it was remembering the incredible work that was done by the women of the Salvation Army who basically made donuts and coffee and brought donuts and coffee to the American soldiers in the trenches on the front lines in France. They risked war, John. Sorry, during World War One, they literally risked their lives to bring some comfort and some some feelings of home to the soldiers in the trenches. <laughs> the irony of that? Huh. What were the American soldiers called in World War One? Well, that's interesting because they were called the Doughboys. And when I looked up, nothing was, to do with donuts. You know what? It it seems to predate World War One. It goes back to like the Mexican American War, Civil War. Yeah. No, uh, it went back. So it can't be because of that. That's right. But it would be a great story if it were that. Doughboys to dough lassies. That's right. They, they were the Salvation Army lassies. They served donuts and coffees to the doughboys in World War One. And now we have a national day. So I thought, boy, when we talked about doing this as an episode, the donut, humble, as you said, something that's sort of standard. Humble. <laughs> 
the donut, right? The donut's humble. It's not, it does, it's not like highfalutin. A bagel could get highfalutin. So we are anthropomorphizing the donut yeah, because- and attributing humility to the donut. Yes, because a bagel. Lacking in attitude. A bagel could get into, which I saw today in the parking lot at Trader Joe's, a bright silver Bentley. A donut's not going to get into a bright silver Bentley. Just oh, not- I, I bet you would look. I bet you there is a high incidence of donut consumption among the upper crust. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the donut itself is humble. I'm not okay. talking about the people that eat the donut or people eat the bagels. I'm talking about the donut itself. Okay. I hadn't thought of it as humble. Yeah. And the, there are some donuts we're going to talk about that have stepped out. So I wanted to hear about that. But here's the first thing I want to tell you. I actually looked up and read the Smithsonian Magazine. Wow. And here's what the Smithsonian Magazine had to say about the donut. Please. And I quote, the humble donut, or maybe that's where I got it from. (laughs) And when you say maybe, (laughs) yes, (laughs) at least you sourced it from a magazine of great repute. The humble donut does have a convoluted past that involves Dutch immigrants, Russian exiles, French bakers, Irving Berlin, Clark Gable, and a certain number of Native Americans. And yes, in its democratic ethos, its optimism, and its assorted origins, it does seem rather quintessentially American. So this donut is optimistic. It has uh, been an important part of cultures and eras, yet it appears to be distinctly American. The author, no doubt, was an American writer. Well, but it also is from mixed origin, which most well, people so, in America are. Optimism, you know, manifest destiny, so we just the Truman Doctrine. It has taken on the characteristics of America. I think it is the Truman Doctrine of pastries. It's out there to defend America against all comers trying to come in and take things away from it. Is that why they put those round donut shaped things on the sides of boats? <laughs> to protect the boats? Yes, exactly right. Do they call them donuts? No, they call them, I think, bumpers because they're not round and have a circle. That's the lifesaver. I think the bumpers are just big and bumpers. cylindrical-ish. Like those rock'em sock'em clown things we used to have as kids that had sand on the bottom. You'd hit it yeah. and fall down and come back up. N- not unlike weebles, where you could also wobble, but they would not fall down. No, not at all. So, so the humble beginnings. Yeah crosses cultures, nonetheless maintains optimism. It's an optimistic dessert. I love that. Now, by the way, it has its origins in ancient Rome and ancient Greece, where they would fry dough. Greece makes sense. They would fry dough, and then they would paint it or with honey or, ready for this, fish sauce. Oh, delightful. Yeah. And was not for, for breakfast. What they would fry it in was also probably something that wouldn't be all that much fun today. So the first time that donuts were ever written about was a famous author, Washington Irving. He of the ghost of Sleepy Hollow. That is correct. But I do not believe this reference to the donut appeared in that particular work. And Rip Van Winkle. And again, I don't believe the donut was mentioned. He was actually considered the first American author, like real American author. Well, I consider him the first American author to write about the donut. (laughs) Okay, there you go. He said, and I quote, Kurt, balls of sweetened dough fried in hog's fat mm. called donuts with, mm. of course, the proper spelling of donuts, D-O-U-G-H-N-U-T-S. That's how the Brits do it. Of course, we had to shorten it. Yeah. 
Because we're full of optimism. Because <laughs> it is the more optimistic spelling of the word donut without brother, question. More humble. The donut with D-O-U-G-H is kind of a little posh. It is a lot of silent letters, which is an indication of highfalutins. British and poshness, which we don't need here. That's why we got rid of them and we pushed them off our shoulders in 1783 with the Treaty of Paris. And what's often not talked about at the Boston Tea Party is the donuts, which were going to be consumed alongside the tea, were also tossed overboard. And they were, but nonetheless, it's the Boston Tea Party, not the Boston Donut Party, probably. as it should rightfully be. Those donuts were probably dunked, don't you think? They were dunked into <laughs> Boston Harbor. You know, at, speaking of dunking, you had mentioned in your opening that the thread of donuts includes Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. He is giving credit for outlining the rules for properly dunking a donut. Mm. So donut etiquette in it happened one night. He said, don't let it soak yeah. so long that it drops a in. dip and plop into your mouth or into the Boston Harbor. If you let it soak too long, it'll get soft and fall off. Discussing donuts here, Kurt. It's all a matter of timing. That's happened many times to me. You overdunked, you oversoaked. Yes, because I was optimistic and it fell off. That, that actually makes sense, sort of going too far. But I would think your need for instant gratification would have led you to a life of underdunking. <laughs> so get me back from Art Deco America and Clark Gable okay, and go back to New Amsterdam when donuts first came to the shore and the Dutch brought them. You know what they were called then? Yeah, it's a word I can't pronounce. Oliquakes. And... For all I know, that's the proper pronunciation. And that means oil cakes. And that's what they were back then. But they were those fried balls of dough. It wasn't until the late... Yeah, when did they acquire the whole, Kurt? Because if they were balls of dough, you you ain't gotten no Dunkin' Munchkin coming out of there. So here was the thing. Actually, the ring of the donut, it was a flat thing of fried dough. The outside would cook before the inside. So the middle was always kind of doughy and roughy, roughy raw e and it didn't cook the way the outside was so what they would do is they would put nuts in the middle where they were soft hence you get dough nuts they would put literally hazelnuts or walnuts and in fact a ship's captain in new england in in the 1800s his mother elizabeth would make these and she would take deep fried dough and she'd open up his spice cabinet because he was a ship's captain who went around the world. She'd put nutmeg and cinnamon in it. And then in the middle, because it was kind of raw, she would put a walnut or a hazelnut and she called them dough nuts because of it. She gave him plus lemon rinds to put off what on a boat? Scurvy. Of course. Get the vitamin C so there's no scurvy. So they get on the boat, lots of them. Her son, Hanson Gregory, the ship's captain, is sailing away with them. He didn't like the middle, but all of a sudden, he's got one hand on the wheel. He's having a nice time. A bluster comes. <laughs> a gale of gale force. I guess that's why they call it that. Dorothy Gale of Wizard of Oz. <laughs> exactly. Coincidence? I think not. And all of a sudden, he realizes he needs two hands on the wheel, probably at 10 and 12. So he takes his ball of fried dough his mother made, and he sticks it, impales it on one of the spikes from his his wheel right through the middle. And that's how we get the donut hole. And he is the father of the donut hole. Now, that's amazing. Did he, he created a hole, but did he displace any of the donut middle and create a derivative donut? The 
Duncan Munchkin? The Munchkin. No, he did not. Okay. He just got rid of it. And from then on, and it was better that way anyway. So, Kurt, sometimes I ask you questions and you guess. Yes. And that's fun for me. Okay. And I will tell you that across our 70 some odd podcast, you've been an excellent guesser. Thank you. Not an under or an over dunker, but a really good guesser. Okay. You're setting me up here. No. How many donuts <laughs> are made in the United States every year? And I assume that equals consumed. I would think so too. Are we talking about now? Because I yes. think donuts have gone up and down, in and out of trend. Remember, each donut is <sighs> yes. like 300 calories. So. I believe that you argued at one point that the pie had gone through a dip in popularity. It did. And the donuts as well, except I will say a donut can be unpopular, except when you walk outside the store and that smell, which Krispy Kreme did on Ooh, purpose. Ooh, that smell. That and smell is all around you. What are you, Leonard Skinner? No. Ooh, that smell. Exactly. Uh, Give me three steps and I'll get you that donut. That's, <laughs> you know where they make great ones in Alabama. Sweet home, Alabama. <laughs> Sweet home, Alabama. Man, free bird. We got to get moving. So anyway. There's nothing wrong with free bird. So it's too long. So anyway. For dunking, yes. Nine minutes is too long for dunking. So the smell that wafts out will always get someone. You know? It works on me. Is the beignet in New Orleans considered a donut? It must uh, be in the donut family. Yes. In fact, the precursor to Krispy Kreme comes from New Orleans. Ah, so how many donuts are made now? Every year in what country? The United States. I will say roughly. You want to give me a range? 32,456,873. Okay. So 32 million, since there are 330 million or so Americans would be one donut per year for one in 10 Americans. You want to go back to the drawing board? 750 million. Okay, so that's two donuts per person per year, Kurt. You want to go back to the drawing board, Kurt? 3.2 billion. Okay, so that's 10 donuts per year per person in America. At least you have the proper order of magnitude now. 10 billion donuts are made in the U.S. each year. Okay. So that's what, that's like... What did we say? That's like 30 per capita. I'm not eating 30 donuts in a year. I wish I were. You know what it is? You, it's that pink box, right? Yeah. Why is it pink? They're I always pink. I don't know. It's There's awesome. a reason. We need to find out. And you have a dozen donuts in there. By the way, imagine how life would have been different if Moses brought down a dozen donuts instead of 10 commandments. Yes. <laughs> well, what would have been in that box, Kurt? What would have been the distribution of the dozen donuts that came down from wherever he came down from? Well, they probably would have been bagels, but anyway. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Is a bagel a Jewish donut or is a donut a non-denominational bagel? Uh, They're two different things. One's fried dough and one's boiled dough. dough. Okay. But one's fried and one's boiled. So, Kurt, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions because these are the things we have to get out in this podcast. What is the most popular kind of donut? In the United States today. Oh, shit. Today. Not a shit donut. That is incorrect, Kurt. Uh, you know what? Glazed. Regular old glazed. You are correct. Believe it or not, the glazed donut is the number one donut in 15 states. And that is far and away the most popular donut. Hard to beat it. It is not my favorite donut. In fact, my favorite donut is the favorite donut, I think, of just one or two. Boston cream. I do not. I I would eat one. So don't get me wrong. I'd eat any kind of donut, probably. Except for the the shit donut you mentioned before. The jelly donut. 
the powdered jelly, jelly donut. And you get the powder all over your face. You know what I do? The way that I truly enjoy a donut, and it's better if I'm eating them alone because it's not a pretty sight. It's when they're covered in powder and they are filled with jelly. I literally eat them over the kitchen sink. And it is a moment of pure joy. Remember about- when you invented that state one notch below Nirvana? Yeah. That's what it's like. Unbelievable. Underappreciated. Heat it over the sink. It's that messy. Well, I like, I like the ones with lemon inside. Really? Yeah. Little so little zesty. Yeah. You're really worried about scurvy, aren't you? <laughs> I might have to go with glazed. I really would. There's something about it. Well, embrace it, then, glazed. Kurt. You know what? It's kind of like the gin martini, right? It's perfect. It's unadorned. It's, it doesn't have to have other stuff. I don't like it when people have to keep adding in order to make it good. It's like. I've talked about this in the past. When my friend who makes pizzas, the hardest one to make is the margarita because you can't hide the uh, flavors with other stuff. It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So you consider that to sort of be the classic quintessential right down the middle of the fairway kind of donut. Uh, it's got a little zest to it because just the regular fried dough, which you used to have, yeah. right? The, and they still have those. That's the regular one. You kind of even know like the apple cider donuts you get in the fall. Those are nice. They, you know Those what? Nice. They're nicer in thought. Well, right? they're seasonal, so and you get it's excited, like the McRib. But then you have them. <laughs> <laughs> it's only around once in a while, so scarcity is a powerful force. What did McDonald's didn't Snow White? Didn't it only come out in short, you know, once in a while, and it it, it led to its popularity? Maybe we should be scarcer. And our <laughs> that would well, we did that. We took two or three so, weeks off recently. Here's a question to build for you. scarcity. Yes, Kurt. How many years in between? The release of Walt Disney's famous animated classics. I mean, this was predates the DVD and all that. Okay. How many years between what? When and? he would re-release them in the movie theaters. I thought it was, was it not annual? No. He kept them on the shelf longer? Yes. How many years? Seven. Oh. Do you know was, why? I was going to ask because there are seven dwarfs, obviously. <laughs> it wasn't just for Snow White. Though that was the first one. And by the way, the reason why the Team Disney building in Burbank Frank Gehry, the reason why it was designed with seven dwarves holding it up is because he mortgaged his whole everything on that one movie Ah. in 1937. Things worked out. Yes, and it worked out because of that. So why seven years, Kurt? Because a new generation of kids come out every seven years. Generations are only seven years long? No, of kids like that are available to in the sweet spot. So there's enough, the, there are enough newbies every seven years the, to know, warrant. Six to 12 age group. That's what if go an older film. person wanted to see it again? They'd wait seven years. So we get to the pop culture part of this podcast. Yes. And we always talk about, and it's always a joke about police having donuts. I think there's something to that whole thing. I don't think that's just a pop culture. You think police just eat donuts. No, I think if you I go, think I would. Well, I think, I think if you go back to the fifties, when the police were out doing their overnight shift, there were very few places that were actually open mm. all night long. And, and the donut starts. shop, so the, the cops would go in and, you know, have coffee and do their paperwork. And it was great for them because they had a place to go. And it was great for the donut shops because clearly they had excellent security. But I think there's there's something like that that's at the root of this. It's not just someone, you know, it's not just a meme. Well, I, yeah, do you like Nighthawks by Hopper? Edward Hopper. I don't know what that is. <laughs> it's a painting by Edward Hopper. Oh, that's no. called Nighthawks, and it's basically it's it's supposed to be a New York City bus terminal coffee shop, right? And it's done at night, and it's really lonely, and it's Americana. There's a neon sign out, 
I think it's in the Art Institute of Chicago. And uh, inside, you see like a waitress and people sitting at the counter. I imagined your policeman doing it anyway. It's a, it's a gorgeous painting, but it's also not, not optimistic. But the donut is optimistic. Let's put a picture of that on our Instagram feed, Kurt, at Smart Drivel. Nighthawks? Nighthawks. Okay. Because I need to learn more about art because sure. you just injected not jelly into a donut, but some serious culture into this episode. We hope for the smart Kurt. Pop culture, You nailed babe. it. <laughs> you nailed it. Do you know what the French call donuts? My guess is donuts. No, they're called poutes de non. And forgive my poor French accent, I don't speak French. Unfortunately, that roughly translates to nuns' farts. <laughs> no, I swear to God, I read it on the internet, Kurt. <laughs> we will put something on Instagram to that effect, too. And that would be the drivel. So you delivered a famous painting. Uh, now, we think that we're talking about pop culture. One of the most famous campaigns in the world for advertising actually was regional because Dunkin' Donuts was regional until about 15 years ago, but time to make the donuts. Time to make the donuts. I love that guy. I decided at that point that I did not want to be in the donut making business because getting up at four o'clock every single day. It's not my thing. Now, what you've been in many, many business meetings, right? As have I. What percentage have had a donut in them? And when you breakfast, when they come in and they bring this... I cannot help myself. I probably have. You know what? I probably am up that 10 or 20 per person because I cannot stop. If yeah. there's a donut in the box and I know it's there in my mind, I won't be able to think of anything else until I eat it. Speaking of pink, the pink yes. box, yeah. there is a crazy donut place in Portland, Oregon called Pink's Voodoo oh. Donut. And they do crazy ass shit with donuts, all kinds of wild donuts. There is a donut, Kurt, believe it or not, that is the Pepto-Bismol donut. They literally dunk, soak, coat the donut in Pepto-Bismol, and then they crumble up Tums on top for some crunch. And if you've had a crazy night out and are not feeling your best, but you're kind of hungry, it is a a medicinal donut. So pop culture references that stick out for you? I have one. Okay. It was called Donut Gate in 2015. Oh, yes. Ariana Grande. Yes. She got caught on camera in California in a donut shop licking the unsold donuts and saying, I hate America. I hate Americans. Yeah. WTF. That's why they called it Donut Gate. Oh, my Lord. And she didn't even apologize. Or she did, but she didn't make any excuses. She basically said, yeah, sorry. Was she perhaps... Licking donuts in Randy's Donut Shop, perhaps the most famous donut shop out there. It is an iconic donut shop in Hollywood. Probably that's why it is, right? Well, actually, it is because of two things. And I think the first one is an input to the second one. It has a 32-foot high donut on its otherwise flat roof. And, and it has hot dogs have the big hot dogs. Exactly. But it's been in a bunch of movies. And I think because it had that outrageous 32 foot donut, it was in movies. And so. it's in Hollywood. So and a it's lot in, of things are filmed there. It was in, you know, Get Shorty, The Golden Child, Crocodile Dundee, Iron Man 2. So it is without question a famous donut shop. It was also in Arrested Development. One oh, is that right? Apparently, Jason Bateman, his character, they were forced to take a lot of THC. <laughs> And he ended up trying to eat that donut. Oh, very nice. If you're talking donuts in pop culture, 
there's one person by far who stands above all the others. Who's that? Homer Simpson. Oh, yes. <laughs> and mm, donuts. A guy, he'll, he can, you can stop him doing anything. He gets the little bit of saliva that trickles down his mouth. Mm, I want a donuts. donut real bad right now. Me too. <laughs> we need to go find a donut shop after this. Oh, I'd love to. And we need to wrap up. But I will tell you one thing. In 1934, World's Fair, the star of the World's Fair. Yes. Was it the donut, Kurt? Was the donut. And, and what made it so? By the way, they called it the food hit of the century of progress. Right. And the century of progress was the theme of that particular World's Fair in Chicago. So it was named the food hit. It was the it. food hit. Yeah. I think because it was the Depression. Donuts only cost a and nickel. And they're optimistic. And the donut is optimistic. Right. So you can feel good. And they're quintessentially American. Well, progress. <laughs> All right. Listen, this was fun. I really badly want a donut. And we'd love our listeners to go on to Smart Drivel at, on Instagram or at Twitter. Everyone's got a donut story. Tell us your favorite donut story. Tell us your favorite donut, for God's sake. Yeah. We should actually poll... 100 listeners and see now glaze may be the donut choice of america writ large but the smart drivel audience may have a different choice i don't like the strawberry one with sprinkles john all right so you told me your favorite donut before we say goodbye what's your second favorite donut they're out of glazed where do you go you know chocolate maybe chocolate frosted i think i might go with the lemon meringue donut that is fairly esoteric kurt but then again you know a lot of artwork there's no hole in the middle of that I actually might go to Glaze as my second because I agree that it's sort of a donut in a very pure form. Listen, Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode of Smart Dribble. Until then, we hope your week is filled with Smart Dribble. Ciao, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye.